I want you to take your Bible this morning and join me in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. I see a number of guests today. We're delighted uh, of all the places you could have worshiped. You've chosen to be here, and we thank you. We also praise the Lord that Harold Bailey is in this service after recovering from surgery. Harold, good to see you. Praise God for you, and we're glad to have you back. Matthew Henry describes Proverbs 18 as a difficult interpretation. There are two schools of thought that really hedge around verse 1. The Bible says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. In describing this passage, Henry says, well, there are some who look at this as a rebuke toward solitude or singularity. He goes on to say, when men take pride in separating themselves or ourselves from what others think in society, advancing new notions, often it can be tied down to vanity and lust. That's the first point of view. The second is that isolation takes on an excitement to diligence in the pursuit of wisdom, meaning he believes that it's very important that isolation is part of the Christian life as we grow in our faith, and we certainly believe that, and we certainly understand that. He says we must pursue knowledge and grace. We must separate ourselves from which that which will divert us from serving the Lord and remove the noise from the world. Everyone lives in the midst of good and evil. Two forces are at work. So we understand that. But in my own life this morning, I believe isolation is something we need to deal with when it confronts us. Oftentimes, isolation is positive and it also can be a negative. We'll look at that in a few minutes this morning. But I can assure you there have been times in my own personal life where being isolated has led me into making a bad decision. And I don't know about you this morning, but I believe that's a struggle that we can have when it comes to serving the Lord. When you look at that verse one, it says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. So he's talking about one who is separated through desire, one who has made the decision. And here's where I want you to begin the message. I want you to write down this first principle that in the midst of the pain of life, we can easily isolate ourselves. In the midst of the pain of life, we can easily isolate ourselves. Do you realize that you can be surrounded by a crowd and still be lonely? If you don't believe that, just ask some of these celebrities and ask some of these athletes, many that will be on the national stage tonight. Do you realize tonight that Patrick McHolmes and Jalen Hurts have both expressed uh, publicly their faith for the Lord Jesus Christ, two quarterbacks playing each other, and uh, I have a feeling that uh, when the game is over, whoever wins, whoever loses, that Christ Jesus will be testified to. I praise God for that. I praise God for that. Max Lucado, in his book, You're Never Alone, tells a story that kind of has captivated my attention. He said that... Uh, 
in one of the largest hospitals in the Dallas area, there was a real concern about how much money was being spent on the same people. So they came to the conclusion through a survey and through research, and it was startling that it all came down to about 80 people who continually went to the emergency room over and over again, ultimately costing the hospital $14 million. They identified the names, they, they identified them as repeat visitors, and their conclusion wasn't poverty, it wasn't needs physically, it was loneliness. Loneliness. And the ER provided some things that they desperately needed. Attention, kindness, care. And I thought about that this morning. If that's the case of an emergency room, would that not be the case for a church? That we recognize our need in coming together, God fulfills that in many ways. They wanted to know that someone cares. And brothers and sisters, this morning, I wanna remind our church, do you have your pen? If you have your pen in your hand, raise it up. Hopefully there's one in front of you if you need one. I want you to write this down. Our church is not called to be a country club. It's called to be a hospital. Burdened, broken people. We're all a mess sometimes, amen? But by the grace of God, the great healer, Jehovah Rapha, he knows what we need, and he knows how to meet it best. You know, years ago when Drew was little, uh, I worked at the post office, so a lot of times I could come home in Dayton to, for lunch. And Renee was stay-at-home mom when he was little, and we had blown up a, a swimming pool. How many of you have ever had a blown-up swimming pool in your life? What a great thing. Put it on the patio, mistake number one. So we were eating, I was eating lunch, and she was letting him have this little frolicky swim out there on the patio, and we heard a little boom, and lo and behold, uh, he got up crying, and he had a gaping, split chin. How many of you have ever lived through or watched your child gape, okay? Y'all well, know what I'm talking about. We were doing the best we could. And I remember we rushed over to Grandview Hospital back in the days when Grandview wasn't so grand. And we went there and uh, they did something I didn't know you could do. They numbed him without shooting him with anything. And lo and behold, they got to, got to fix this thing. And, and uh, for many years, I looked at a scar. And it took me right back to the day. And I'm telling you, sometimes what happens in when we're in the isolated moments of our lives can be scars that are never taken away. They're reminders. 
but it also may be a reminder of pain. So these people were going to the hospital because someone cares. And when we look at the book of Proverbs, the wisest man in his day, Solomon says, God cares. God cares. And you might be here today and, and you're hurting and, and boy, you've got, it, you've, got it paint, you've got it painted good because we don't know it. But aren't you glad that God knows us best? And when it seems like the, the loved one's not around or maybe you're here and you're a widow and you've lost your spouse, aren't you glad that there's a God who knows and there's a God who cares? And that's what we see in the wisdom that Solomon gives. He says, be careful when you're isolated. Now, the Bible teaches us that God has a plan and community is part of that plan. For instance, in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that a a three-cord rope is not easily broken. The importance of having those next to you and with you for the journey, I I love that fact. Even when it comes to worship, uh, we recognize the need for each other. Let me read it again. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Why? All the more as you see the day approaching. The last Tuesday in February, um, we're planning an opportunity for the church, for anybody who wants to, to go to Richmond and see a movie called The Jesus Revolution. I'm hoping to do it on Tuesday night for a couple reasons. Uh, That's like their best price of the week. And The Jesus Revolution is a story of the Jesus movement uh, in the late 60s and 70s that took place and, and revival came through unlikely characters. And that was a group of young people on the West Coast. As we speak this morning, there is a revival that is being documented at Asbury University, Asbury College, where 17 hours ago, I believe it was, the last report was these kids have been in worship for 70 hours. They're they're not leaving class, or they're not leaving to go to class, and those that are in class are wondering what's happening, and they're making their way to chapel, and this revival movement is breaking out enough to the point where Mainstream news is covering it. And I want to I say this morning, you'll say, well, what, what's that have to do with isolation? A couple things. If you really want to see revival, you've got to let God zero in on your own heart and quit worrying about everybody else. Number two, they see the need of God moving corporately. And I believe when God moves privately, he will move corporately. And if we're really wanting to see revival in First Camden, we've got to do like the old preachers, stand there, draw a circle around us and say, God, if you want to send revival, would you start in this circle? Will you start in this circle? And Solomon says, be careful about isolation because it seeks its own desire. Oh, the devil can have a field day with you if you want to just be by yourself and hide everything from everybody else. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to get alone so you recognize, you think your strength 
is what you have and you recognize your strength as your biggest weakness. That's what Paul was talking about. The Bible says that Christian fellowship is important when it comes to this area of isolation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Romans 15, 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 13, 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isolation opens up spiritual attack. And Solomon says, be very careful because we seek our own desire which rages against all wise judgment. Let me remind you of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I know that a coyote is not a lion, but boy, out at our house recently, they sure sound like it. And uh, my wife's son-in-law has got two of the most precious grandsons in the world, scared. And I'm coming up with all kinds of stories of what that is not. But I'm telling you, there's a real lion, the devil, who is prowling and he's looking and he'll take advantage of anything to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your home, to destroy anything good that God has done. I praise the Lord for that. You see, the body of Christ doesn't function alone. It functions together. We are the body. Uh, Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. So we're called to community. We're called to be together. But the devil wants to do something about that. He wants to get you out on an island and make you think that you're by yourself. Let me, let me use an example of this, okay? Um, I played a little basketball and played in college a year, and uh, I'll just give you my metrics. 5'10", 135. They put 150 in the bulletin, or, or the program, program, okay? So let me, let me tell you what would happen in college, okay, about isolation. I need an example. I need somebody to help me. Tim, come up here. Tim was a basketball player. He went to Tri-Village. And uh, he said it was the longest six years of high school of his life. <laughs> anyway, Tim was a basketball player, so he gets it. But here's what would happen to me at Sinclair, 5'10", 135. They would have a guard, Tim's size, guarding me, but that didn't become the battle for me. The battle became me guarding him. And they would say, isolate the little skinny kid. 
So somebody that's taller and, and chubby like Tim, he, he, I mean, they would push. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what they would do. That's exactly what they would do. I, w- I would get pushed around. And here's what happens. Sit down. Hey, here's, here's, what hap- here's what happens when we're isolated. Listen to me. Here's what happens when we're isolated. We get pushed around by the devil. And we begin to think things. We begin to do things we shouldn't. We, we, we fall when we think we've been strong. And I believe when you think about the Christian life, that's the importance, and that's why it's so important that we need each other when we come together for worship. I mean, there's always a time we recognize when you need to be alone. We, we know there's a time when we need to be alone to pray. Jesus, Jesus taught us that. For instance, Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. That's a repetitive thing that the Lord Jesus does. He reminds us. And when it was evening, he was there alone, Luke 5, 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. We recognize that. So so let me just take the isolation and give you two views. The first is this. Uh, What are some things that lead to negative isolation? Okay, Uh, what what he's talking about here in verse 1. He seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. What are some things that lead to negative isolation? Let me give them to you. Here's one of them, sin. And sin leads to guilt, and oftentimes guilt leads to shame. I want you to mark your Bible here and flip back to the book of Psalms 51. Go to Psalm 51. Most of you would think, oh, Psalm 51, that's David's prayer. That's David's confession, his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. That's right. But I want you to listen to how he words this prayer. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He prays, I need mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned. I've done evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. The hyssop was a, a hard, rocky sponge, abrasive. Wash me and I should be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones of you have broken. May rejoice and hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. And I love 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your Spirit, go back to Proverbs 18. What David prayed, he just lays it out there. He says, Lord, I recognize that my sin is before you. 
Folks, I'm telling you, there's a God who loves you. There's a God who is worthy. There's a God who's able to cleanse and forgive and give new starts. How many of you are glad for a new start this morning? I wish all of you could have been in First Connection and heard a couple testimonies this morning. I hope you'll hear them maybe in the worship service. But God is able. So negative isolation can lead to sin. Sin leads to guilt. Guilt leads to shame. Negative isolation can lead to fractured relationships. Do you realize that some of you here today are a conversation or a phone call from restoring a relationship? You say, what do you mean, Brother Greg? Well, maybe there's been pain in the past. Maybe something has happened. Maybe something has been said. Maybe there's been some misunderstanding, and and we're spending our life thinking what the other one might be thinking, when in essence, if there was clarity, maybe we could move forward. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll use myself. At 61 years old, I guess I'm on the back nine. I've made the turn. And my question to us this morning is, do we want to spend the rest of our life the way things are right now? When we could be asking God to do something that only he can. And I love the fact that he loves us so much he doesn't want to leave us where we're at. That's the good news. Negative isolation involves sin. It involves relationships that are fractured. It involves disappointment or unmet expectations. Perhaps our health has changed, and, and now you're at the point, or now we're, we're at the point where you wake up and there's just another thing wrong. The Bible says that our bodies are groaning. You know what they're groaning for? Immortality. And the Bible says one day that will take place. How many of you are glad that somebody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus? How many of you remember a a childhood preacher or someone who was just instrumental in your life as you grew up and you think about them often? Let me tell you something that happened in Tennessee this week and I can't even believe it still. My dad and mom are from East Tennessee. The funeral we attended was for Renee's aunt. I preached on Wednesday in La Follette, Tennessee. The burial was in Jacksboro, which is very close. During the funeral graveside, I mentioned a preacher named Billy Edmonds, who was my granny and papa's pastor in Morgan County, Tennessee, one of their beloved pastors that they always loved. He went into full-time evangelism. After the funeral, the funeral director said to me, hey, Billy Edmonds pastored right over here, right below the high school. First First Baptist will follow it. I believe that was it. I said, really? He goes, oh, yeah, people loved him around here. I said, well, that's funny you, you said that. And I told him this story. I said, my mom and dad are from Tennessee, Morgan County, uh, about an hour from here. And my dad calls me, and he acts like this old preacher named Brother Goins. And he calls me, and folks, this is, this is ongoing, right? I mean, this, he, he asked, yesterday he called me and said, Brother Goins, what are you doing? And there was a conversation. I said, Dad, who in the world is Brother Goins? He said, Brother Goins was a preacher that I remember growing up. 
And he goes, you know the bed that used to sleep in at Granny and Papaw's when we would go down for vacation? That's the very bed he would sleep in when he would come through Morgan County selling Bibles. I told that story to the funeral director, and he said, Ernest Goins is buried in a cemetery. I go, what? He goes, he's buried here, just across the road here. I said, we're not talking about the same one. He goes, I bet we are talking about the same one. And I walked over there with him, and there I saw a marker, Reverend Ernest Goins. And he goes, you know who Maggie was? And I go, no. She was a Jackson. What if I'm related to Ernest Goins? My dad calls me, and the conversation is like this. Brother Goins, where, where, where are you going this weekend? What time are you getting there to set up your tent? Are you expecting a big crowd for a revival? So he acts like I'm the revival preacher, Brother Goins. And now that dad's 86, I think he knows what he's saying. And we have this running joke about that. But, I, but of all the places in the world for the Lord to drop me in the same cemetery where this preacher, listen, had an impact on my dad as a boy. Aren't you glad God uses people to encourage you? And you might be here today and you say, well, you know what, really, Greg? I sure could use some encouragement. Then take the steps that Solomon is suggesting and set the steps that Elijah modeled for us by withdrawing from everything and recognize that isolation sometimes can really hurt who you are in Christ. It can make you feel like you're all alone. But what about the positive things when it comes to isolation? Well, distractions are removed. The greatest distraction you and I have, whether we want to admit it or not this morning, is either in our pocket, our purse, or laying on the pew right beside us, and it's your phone. You say, how do you know that, really, Greg? Because I, I realize that. That we're glued to it. And, and we feel like we're disconnected from everything if, we're not, if we don't have it with us all of the time. Distractions are removed when we're isolated for the right reason. We begin to turn things off. Have you ever noticed how quiet your house is when the television is not on? It allows us to focus on prayer. It allows us to focus on the word of God. It helps us understand that there might be an opportunity to make a decision or to move a different direction. You see, isolation does something to us. It causes us to seek our own desire. It causes, listen, wise judgment to be fought for. There's a rage against it. And the Bible says in verse two, a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. You know, this week is Valentine's Day. Look at me, men. Look at me, men. If your wife is still alive, maybe your wife has gone home. What a great opportunity to, to visit the graveside and thank the Lord for the life you had together. Look, look at me, men. Harold, 
Tuesday. Do not forget Valentine's Day. You say, Brother Greg, cards are so expensive. They are. Just take a trip to Walmart together, look at one, read it to her, and then say, I love you, and head back. But listen to me. What, what are you saying? You're saying you're important. You're import, important. You see, a fool would take that relationship for granted. How do you know that, Brother Greg? Ask any divorced person sitting here. You know what good times look like and you know what hard times look like. When you look at verses six through eight, you see what comes from a fool's lips. A fool's lips enter into contention, verse six, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's lip calls for destruction. And his lips are the snare of his soul. Destruction and demolition when we try to do it our own way. So Solomon says, but be a good worker, verse nine. He who is slothful in his work is the brother of him who is a great destroyer. If you're here today and you're struggling with your job, I wanna encourage you. You're not alone, that happens. But I wanna encourage you tomorrow morning if you're hitting the clock somewhere and you're really struggling with your job, I wanna encourage you to check in for the Lord Jesus. And just say, Lord, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be trustworthy. I'm going to treat everybody the same. And I'm going to give you the best I've got. And I believe God will honor that. And then we get to verse 10. This might sound familiar. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. Amen? We just sang that this morning. We just sang that. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Listen, the name of the Lord is visible. We could see it. We see the way. He is our refuge. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. Number four, we can and we need to run to the Lord. Sometimes in pain, we run away from the Lord. We isolate ourselves. But it's in the very moment when we feel like running away that we could be running to him because we recognize he knows what we need. The Bible says in Psalm 61.3, for you have been our shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Psalm 91.2, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Who's he talking about? The same God that loves you. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, the same God that lives in your heart. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, he's the God who wants to live in your heart. Loves you more than anything. Knows what's in front of you. Has prepared a place called heaven for you to spend eternity. And if we think that 90 or 95 years on earth is a long life, it is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. Psalm 144, 2, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, the one that loves you. And then you look at verses 11 through 16, and we begin to find out that we can put our trust in things that do not last. Verse 11, the rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem, 
Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, proud, and before honor is humility. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. You know, uh, it's very easy to sit at home and think that being the president of the United States would be easy. For that matter, sitting on town council of Camden. There's some of you here that think that pastoring is a piece of cake. All I can say is give it a shot. I'm a great coach on Friday nights sitting in the stands. I'm a wonderful referee sitting in the stands. Recently, we went to a little peewee game. A fella got on the microphone, and here's what he said to everybody there. Okay, we're gonna let the players play, the coaches coach, and the referees ref. If you can't handle that right now, go ahead and leave. You know what he was saying? It's just a game. It's just a game. But when it comes to placing your faith in the one who has redeemed you, it's not just a game. There is no dress rehearsal. This is it. Some of you have been putting it off. I don't know why. Why would you put off the greatest decision you need to make? You know, a lot of people don't have a will. And when, and when the loved one passes, it makes it very, very difficult for the family. Why in the world would you put off the most important decision you need to make? And that is to give your heart to Christ. It's to give your heart to Christ. Your loved ones that have gone on to heaven would not come back if they could. They're longing for you to get there. And until Jesus calls us, we've got work to do. We're part of his plan. And he wants to use us for his glory. So don't put your... Uh, trust in the wealth that maybe you have right now. Don't put the trust in the property you have right now, the belongings you have right now. Maybe you're here today and everything in your life is clicking. I mean, everything is rolling. Your relationship is good with your wife if you're married. Uh, the job is steady. The money's coming in. Uh, the, nothing's broken to your knowledge in the house right now and the cars are running. I mean, life is clicking. That's not the case for most of us sitting here. Life is broken, and our Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, come to me, and I'll close with this, number five, and I love the fact that I pastor a church that has this character, be a gift giver. Men, two days is Valentine's. Be a gift giver. Here it is. Listen to it. I'm looking for it. Verse 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. A man's gift makes room for him. You see, a gift is something that is given, but a gift has to be received, okay? So men, in two days, Valentine's. You get your gift, Brian, and you put it on the table with the card, and you get home from work, and she's home from work, and you recognize it's never been opened. And Melanie says, well, I didn't know it was for me. After all these years, you got a Valentine's gift? And you said, yes, honey, it's for you. 
A gift is not a gift until it's exchanged, received. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we give an invitation at the end of every service and we don't apologize for that. Because I was a boy, church kid, grew up, preacher gave an invitation and that was the service God was knocking on my heart. I want everybody to stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Don't let isolation become a danger in your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're a Christian, thank the Lord for saving you. Thank him for saving you. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you've never followed in believer's baptism. What do I need to do, Brother Greg? In a moment we sing, you come and say, I, I need to follow in baptism. I'm not ashamed of my decision. Or maybe you're here today and you're ready. And God is just softly knocking on your heart's door. Do you hear him? In the quietness of your heart, pray, God, I hear you. I hear you knocking. And this morning, I gladly invite you into my heart, recognizing I'm a sinner and you're my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me, was buried and rose from the grave. Save me, Lord Jesus, right here, right now. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that tells us in Romans that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I thank you, Lord, that in this building, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who have given their life to Christ, but what does heaven see now? So help us to be obedient during this invitation. Here is the invitation. Maybe you need to come and pray with a, a spouse, a loved one, a friend. Maybe you're here today and you just want to go to somebody and say, pray with me. I feel, I feel alone. Or maybe you just want to quietly in your pew pray, God, restore under me the joy of your salvation. Help me to recognize you're right here, right now. So Lord, would you have your way as we sing, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.